Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is iFanboy Media Explode, episode 23, Academy Awards preview, and your emails. He met her in the fall. Welcome to my Fanboy Media Explode, episode 23. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hey there. And Ron Richards. Hello. And this is the Media Explode show unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. It's our monthly non-comics media show. Unlocked by the patrons, saved by the patrons. They continue to bring it to you every month. So thank you to the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Very dramatic. And just to see the community rally behind the show, I want to thank you. I know Josh wants to thank you. Josh was really worried, right, Josh? I was fretting. And yep, fretting. Yep. I mean, seriously, getting like eleven o'clock at night calls from Josh saying, "I, I don't know what I'm going to do if, if the patrons don't don't save the show." I mean, we've had a lot of tough times over the past <laughs> couple, couple of years. Of years. I mean, yeah. there's we're literally from the pandemic to war, and this was just the last step. I couldn't, I couldn't have taken it. It would have broken yeah. me. So, yeah. So, thank you everybody for saving saving Josh. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. Again, thanks to the patrons. And so, we're going to talk about things we watched, enjoyed. There might be spoilers in the conversation. Who knows? Sort of a freewheeling discussion. And we like to start off every episode by talking about what we've been enjoying, usually in television, but it can be anything in the last month since we last spoke. And why don't Ron? You start us off. I just want to caveat it that I yeah. only agree to come back to do this show if we can have a freewheeling conversation every time. <laughs> yeah, it was structured before. We had scripts. Yeah, and there was no ad libbing. And, and I said, that's not going to work. You can't hold me back, Connor, with your regimented schedule. Ron's a free spirit. I'm a free spirit. I can't be held back. I love this. I love <laughs> He's this a sun child. There's He's no, a sweet sun child. No time. <laughs> roll. Let's roll. So yeah, I'm, I'm drowning in things to watch and to do and stuff like that. But the ones I wanted to talk about this time around, I finished Around the World in 80 Days, the PBS show with David Tennant. It was lovely. I strongly recommend it if you're a Jules Verne fan. I, I, it was a lot of fun. I'm sorry, Jules who? Jules Verne. Jules Verne. Verne. He was. Verne. Uh, it sounded like you said Fern. Jules Verne. Jules Verne. <laughs> that's, that's what. That's the lesser if known got Jules. A house plant. You should oh. name it Jules Fern. <laughs> I'm going to do a newspaper strip called Jules Fern, and it's about a guy and his plant. Oh, <laughs> and they That's... go on adventures to the moon and to the center of the earth. 
Yeah, but the plant is just like couldn't give a shit. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I've taken you to the moon. I don't know. Where's my sunlight? Uh, anyway, but I want to talk about two things, and they kind of fold into one another. And they're mainly this is like everyone gets to listen to me talking to Josh. I started listening to a podcast called Where It Went which is a podcast that is exploring every release by the record label Revelation Records. So if you're not familiar with it in the whole hardcore world, uh, Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Sick of It All, Shelter. Orange 9mm? Orange 9mm, okay. yeah. Judge, Early Quicksand, stuff like that. The, the, the Revelation was the label that all that came out. Texas is the Reason records came out in Revelation. And so I started listening to it mainly to listen to the Texas is the Reason episodes as well as the Gorilla Biscuits and stuff. like Basically anything with Walter Schreifels in it. And so I haven't listened to every episode because they've done like 50 plus episodes so far and they're doing a whole bunch of bonus things. But I was listening to a bunch of episodes recently and it seemed like three episodes in a row... So that's my first thing is go listen to the Where It Went podcast if you're into that kind of music. Pretty cool. But on that podcast, people just casually mentioned the City Gardens documentary, the City Gardens documentary. And I was like, what is that? Right. And so I went and looked it up. And sure enough, in 2014, a documentary came out called Riot on the Dance Floor, which is the story of the venue City Gardens, which was located in Trenton, New Jersey. It opened in the early 80s, like 1982, and was open until 1996 and was like, the stop for underground bands on tour in those years, not just punk and hardcore, but like Sinead O'Connor's first show in the States was at City Gardens. He booked Duran Duran before anybody knew who they were, like very active in the early kind of new wave scene in the early 80s. Um, it was one guy, this guy Randy Now is his name, who did the booking from 82 to 96. And the, and the documentary was a combination of like telling his story, but also telling the story of the venue. John Stewart was a bartender there. Which I didn't know until I saw the Is documentary. Is why I know that name? I feel like I've heard that name before. I maybe he's talked about doing that before. Yeah, that probably, yeah. I went to this venue once when I was like 14 or 15. Quicksand was playing the Roseland in New York City, and I begged my parents to let me go. And they wouldn't let me go into the city to go to the show. And so somehow me and my friends, they, we saw Quicksand was playing the next day in Trenton. And somehow I talked my dad into driving us to Trenton to go see the show, to take us to it. Because you told him you'd go see some of the Revolutionary War sites, and he was like, let's do it. No, but the thought was, we're not going to the city, we're just going to like the suburbs of New Jersey. This sounds like Action Park all over again. It does. And little did I realize is that like City Gardens was like worse than CBGB's as far as like, like, like I, I'm mortified now watching this that I brought my father there to this venue, to this club. <laughs> that, that feels like that tracks. Like, yeah, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> but it was, a, and, and, and hey, I, I owe him. I thanked him after watching it. Like, listen, Dad, you took us this thing. I, I got to thank you. So he just sat by the bar. Maybe John Stewart served him. I don't remember. What was the conversation like on the way home? Yeah, I don't remember. I think, what? We all, I think we all slept. Yeah. Did you have fun? <laughs> what? For some reason, I pictured when your dad took you to a thing that it was like daytime. Like you're all like it's like 11 a.m. and you're on your way to the hardcore show. Yeah, maybe. We probably left during the day. Fair enough. But so the documentary was really, really good. They got a lot of really good folks to talk about it in interview format. Josh, there is some primo Ian Mackay documentary scenes. Yeah, I was, you, you told yep. me that he'd said something. Oh, yeah. Fugazi played there early on, and, and he's got some great stories about playing there and, like, what he thinks of it and all this sort of stuff. And there's also some just good general Ianisms about, like, touring and music, like, not specific to this club. So, Josh, I strongly recommend you check it out. Cool. Henry Rollins is in it. Jello Biafra. Ween, the guy from Ween, apparently, they were, they were like, a big local Dean band. Ween? 
Ween Milo from Descendants is interviewed in it, Josh. So like there's a lot of a lot of the folks that we really like from a music standpoint, but just also as like in telling the story of American music, this club is in the same vernacular as, you know, the CBGBs or the yeah. Whiskey or the Fireside Bowl in Chicago or these, you know, kind of these great venues that just don't exist anymore now. And so it's definitely is a moment in time. And like I feel like the 82 to 96 is enough of a time span where you see like its influence on the music scene, but also how the music scene influenced it. And just like really, it was really well done. It's about two hours. 82 to 96, if you're into American, you know, indie and hardcore is kind of, yeah, that's all of it for the most part. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So strongly recommended. I enjoyed it. I didn't even know it existed. It came out, what, nearly a decade ago, nearly eight years ago. It was good. So I'm glad I discovered it via that podcast. Is that one of those things that like that the show is for? Like, hey, I randomly watched this decade old thing and I'm bringing it up now. I feel like you, yeah. you've served the purpose of the thing. Well, yeah, I feel like we're always talking about like, what's the new show or whatever. But like, here's a case of like, I went back into the archive and found something I didn't even know existed that is right up my alley that was enjoyable, which I think anybody could enjoy. <laughs> we talked recently about how TV is kind of back on an upswing right now. It is. There was a fallow yeah. period a few months ago where there wasn't, you know, we were just in between cycles. There wasn't a ton on. The vaunted Sunday night TV night was sort of not dead, but there would be one or two shows. But now, uh, briefly, I just want to mention that Sundays are packed again. I've got five shows I watch on Sunday. I don't even have time to watch them all. I have to watch them throughout the course of the week. I just love the idea of you up until three in the morning on Sunday nights. (laughs) I wish I was able to do that. I do not have the time for that anymore. Time's got nothing to do with it. Between Outlander's back, Billions, Winning Time, Super Pumped, Last Week Tonight's back, 60 Minutes, which is more important now than ever. Sunday nights are just crowded. Back up, back up. Why is 60 Minutes more important now than ever? They're reporting on from Ukraine every week now. Okay. And there's nobody else who's got the budget to do that kind of thing in any kind of clout. It's like the last bastion of... Is Morley safer over there? No, he's dead. Uh, Is he? Oh, shit. I'm sorry. That's okay. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, So anyway, Sundays are now back fully. But I wanted to talk about a Monday show. HBO's keep trying to make Monday happen. Didn't it start as a Sunday show and they moved it? No, it's always been Monday. Oh, has it always been Monday? I thought it was on Sunday. They released the new David Simon show on Monday. They did Chernobyl on Monday. They've been trying to make Monday also be a thing because they only can put so much programming out. Before you get into this, Kyle, let me ask you, is it working? Well, I mean, I watch it. Yeah. It doesn't have the clout that Sunday has, but, Uh you know, people watch Chernobyl. Chernobyl was great. I would give anything for another Chernobyl. (laughs) I mean, not like... (laughs) This is the worst possible time to be saying that. Ron, I guess I've got kind of good news for you. I don't think we've ever been closer. (laughs) In fact, about a week or two ago, we were really close. Yeah, Yeah, I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's all we can do is make dumb jokes. So, (laughs) The Gilded Age. We haven't talked about it. All three of us watched this show. We're recording this the day of the finale, so we haven't seen the finale. It will have come out by the time you hear this. But I love this fucking dumb show. Like, it's not a great show. No. It's Julian Fellows, the mind behind Downton Abbey, and it's just, like, a little off. Like, clearly he's got, like, a crazy person's understanding of british aristocracy and upstairs downstairs life it doesn't quite translate to american but it's still really soapy and fun like when you watch Downton Abbey, you had a feeling this guy knows everything down to what the buttons are in the suit and like yeah. everything yeah. whereas gilded age is a bit less authentic it feels like but it's still an upstairs downstairs-esque although the downstairs part's not nearly as interesting as the upstairs part look at the new york city and the gilded age and the robber barons then old money versus new money Love triangles, machinations, lives being destroyed, lots of money at stake, brownstones, giant houses. 
it's just incredibly fun. It's got a great cast full of Broadway people. It's shot in New York. It's such a New York production. We were laughing because Christine Baranski and the other woman from The Good Fight are in it. Like the two leads from The Good yeah. Fight are both in yeah. it, but not Audrey together. McDonald. I feel like you could tell a show that shoots in New York by if Nathan Lane shows up, right? Between <laughs> Only Murders in the Building and now this, right? Like it's just, I do like the New York production unit like as, as a thing, but uh, Connor, I'm right there. We're right there with you. We, me and my wife are watching it and just love it. Love it. One of the actors said that the show was a godsend for Broadway actors because they were filming it during the pandemic when they couldn't work. Oh, wow. So you'll see big Broadway actors in small parts just because they, you know, they get a nice day rate. Wasn't Bill Irwin in an episode? Yeah, yeah. He wa- yeah, yes. oh, right. Oh, I love Bill Irwin. Oh, man. But all three of us like it. It's fun to, you know, just get lost in a dumb thing. The stakes are low. It's compelling, though. It's compelling in a weird way. There's, there's this historical aspect. Of some, there's a lot of characters who are real people. There's characters who are sort of based on real people. Yep. And there's real things that happen in the show. And it's just, you know, there's crazy dresses and hats and bowler hats. And carriages yep. and geography. Is this going to be the things where you, you just list aspects of things? But that's, the, any, that's what but it's no, Geography. But anybody who knows us over the years, listen yeah. to Goodfellas, Goodfellas Minute, you know that A, we love New York City, and we also and we love, love we love geography, and we love roads, <laughs> and we love you know transit, right? And so True. like I do find myself watching the show, and they're talking about... <laughs> They're talking about, you know, they live at the corner of 60th and 5th Avenue, but they're going down to 14th Street or whatever. And I'm like, how long would that take in 1880? Like, it's just, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long did it get to Newport? Right. I keep on doing. I, I keep on doing a lot of currency, like inflation calculator yeah, calculations, all the time. On my, all the time. Yep, yep. So. All the time. <laughs> that's the best website to have open during any show taking place in the past. I'm constantly yep. checking yep. it. It's yeah. fantastic. It's like, oh yeah. my god, that's a million dollars. We started watching Deadwood together, Lindsay and I, and I was like, I was constantly like, ooh, that's yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> they were just walking around carrying like fifty thousand dollars in their jacket. That's what yes. happened in, in Around the World in eighty days because in the first episode, he 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 makes a bet for twenty thousand pounds that he can't travel the world in eighty days. And my wife looked at me. She's like, "How much is that now?" I do it. I'm like, "Oh, that's like over a million dollars. It's like a lot of money." Right? So, yeah, it's pretty good. This show is a delight. It's got just the right level of pretentiousness and high drama, and also like much ado about nothing. It's like the, right. it's got the right mixture of it all. I gotta say, like, you didn't watch Downton Abbey, did you? Tom? I did not. I did not. I mean, there's 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 no reason for you not to watch that show. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I know. I don't no, think. No, I'm, no. Like, uh, like, listen to you right now. I think you'd really like it because yeah. it's all of these things. Well, because here's the thing is when this show first came out. And it's came, better. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, that's true. But when this show first came out, I was I was kind of excited about it. And I think I had been expecting one thing. I'd expecting, I was expecting like a prestige drama about the Gilded Age. And by, and by the way, just for the record, I love the Gilded Age. In oh, terms yeah. of American historical periods, I find it fascinating. I've read many You mean books. the actual Gilded Age, not the show? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I like the show, fine. But, but as a time it, period. Yeah. Right away, I was like, oh, this is exactly Downton Abbey. And I don't think that I had been expecting it or was prepared for it. And it took me a little. I actually like didn't watch the second episode for a while. How long did it take you to, to prepare for it? I mean, estimate. How long did it take you? Two, three weeks before I was okay. like, hold on, I want, I want to keep watching more. So then I ended up watching like... Well, because it's not a tone that HBO does. Right. Yeah, right? I just... Like historically yes, speaking, they it. don't do like soap opera-y... Yeah. I stuff. think I was expecting like John Adams for some reason, so I had to recalibrate because I would love John Adams is in the show. Yeah, no, not the John Adams, no. a descendant I was, of his. I was doing the math. I was like, that's not. That doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, there's a, but there's a character named John Adams. He's a descendant. John Adams the third. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. It's not as sharp or smart as Downton Abbey. 
it's not as authentic feeling, but it's a lot of fun. Doesn't have the cast, you know. It doesn't have. It doesn't have the have cast. Ma- Maggie Smith alone, and and you know all that. They got to figure out a way to make the downstairs more compelling. If they're going to keep spending as much time with them, they're getting better. But yes, everyone says like a mysterious secret, and they just reveal it, and then they move yes. on to the next person's mysterious I know. I, I made that comment yesterday, where they and we were watching the second to last, the penultimate episode of the season, and they showed somebody from the downstairs in the Russell household who has been mysteriously going away, and we saw him like see someone, and it like moved the story forward, but with no context or resolution, and I'm just like. Okay. <laughs> I kind of like that. The non, it's like non sequitur plot lines. Yeah. There's plot a bunch lines. of that in Downton Abbey. Yeah. Like, we're done with this. Yeah. They move along. It's a short first season, only nine episodes. So hopefully uh, it's successful. I know there's a second season coming. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing about Downton Abbey, and this is that, like, every single thing that happens on the show is pointless. <laughs> I mean, like, everything that everyone's upset about is entirely pointless. And it was the yeah. same thing, like, and I, Lindsay and I used to, like, Downton Abbey was very compelling, but also it's hilarious. Like, somebody's come down and they have the wrong shirt on for dinner, and then you cut to Maggie <laughs> Smith and she's just aghast. <gasps> and then the music sting would come in, and, like, it's like the same kind of thing. And I, it's so weird. It's one of those things, like, I kind of can't believe that everybody likes it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I gotta say, Christine Baranski, who, you know, we love on The Good Wife and The Good Fight, is doing a great job and like the seeping, I don't know, the classism that's happening yeah. and like, and like sure. the level of like, we don't talk to them because they're new money or they're not like, that's what I mean. Like none of it matters. The it's- Mrs. Astor character, Josh, this is, you haven't seen this yet, but, but and it's not a spoiler, but she's you know talking about that and like talking about someone else in society. And it's like her family have been landovers for two centuries. You know, it's like, it's like, you, unless you were in New York in the 1600s, you're not a real New Yorker. And it's just fascinating given like where we know, New York City goes immediately after this and then also where we are today and just like how the same themes just keep plaguing, you know, our country and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating. But now it's 10 years. You have to be there for 10 years. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot less than yeah. being there in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So now Josh and I are going to talk for the next 30 minutes. All right. I'm going to yeah. go to sleep then. I was very excited when I heard about the uh, upcoming show, Winning Time, which we all know should be called Showtime. But if we think about <laughs> premium can, cable yeah. networks, it's going to become very clear why that is a thing. But it also works out because they're not planning on stopping with the Showtime era. So now they can keep going with the same title. Really? Are they going to get to Kobe and shit? Well, there's another book about the Kobe Shaq era. So they think they might keep going with like a basketball of the crown. So I wasn't fully aware that there was a book that this was based on or whatever. What I was aware is that a year and change ago, I listened to a podcast that Adam McKay did and produced with others, but he hosted it. And I think it was he was sort of in charge of it called Death on the Wing. And the idea was that he looked at basketball players who had died, wing players, so shooting guards and small forwards mostly. All these people that if you know basketball, you know, and they, they sort of died. And then he would tie those to social issues. And it was the most compelling thing i could not get enough of it and then sort of find out sort of not long after that that he was going to do this show about 79 you know era lakers you know as a drama i got really excited about it and then as we started seeing the trailers i got more excited about it and then the pilot comes along and you know i watched it with my wife who doesn't know anything about this i've watched you know there's a great bird i think it's bird magic documentary on hbo yeah. so if you can watch this show on hbo max you can go see that there's a three-part lakers versus celtics 30 for 30 on espn which is fantastic the la parts are narrated by ice cube and the boston parts are narrated by donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> you know and i'd seen all that stuff so i was really it's great 
it's it's really fantastic. And it's one of those things where like I watch baseball documentaries and I don't really follow baseball. You know, it's compelling drama. And if you know the game, it's probably that much better. But if not, it's still pretty good. So anyway, all that said, like this show coming out, I was into it. And my expectations were far exceeded in that first episode because it was just so thoughtful and full there was just there were so many things to look at but it didn't feel like it was overwrought like it was trying to do too many things first of all it starts with casting and you've got these people you know we all know what magic johnson looks like we all know how magic johnson acts and sounds and moves and i don't know who that dude is but they found a guy to play magic johnson and i can't keep my eyes off of him yeah he doesn't sound exactly like magic johnson but he's got a smile there's a scene where they haven't played a lot of basketball yet actually but there's a scene where he dribbles up the court and i was like he's dribbling like magic you can well, see they're not planning on really this. showing a lot of basketball other than right and no, which is fine know. i think that that's the better move but either way you know just a, a magical bit of casting and then the other bit that i and I, I keep going back to i keep thinking about is that it came out not long ago that the reason for will ferrell and adam mckay's split was that will ferrell wanted to play dr jerry buss and, and Adam McKay was like, no, that's wrong. And I saw the trailer and I saw that it was John C. Riley playing him. And I was like, well, what the fuck is the difference? Then the show starts up and I was like, he absolutely made the right call. Will Ferrell is wrong. Well, yeah. Well, the, and the split wasn't so much that Will Ferrell was wrong. It's that, that Adam McKay then cast John C. Riley and didn't tell Will Ferrell. And John C. Riley right. called Will Ferrell and told him. Like, that was the. Uh, that, hey, <laughs> I, I, I'm on the. I'm on the. <laughs> it's an insane cast. And every time someone yes. shows up, like the third episode of Adrian Brody shows up as Pat Riley. Oh, that's perfect casting. You've got John wow. C. Riley, you've got Adrian Brody, you've got Sally Field, you've got Gabby Hoffman. Why does Jason Clark look exactly like Jerry West? <laughs> he looks exactly Jason Siegel, Tracy Lutz. I was looking up pictures. Yeah, he looks of, exactly like him. And I thought, well, has he got appliances on? Or like, how do they find two guys that have no lips <laughs> and a wide <laughs> jaw? It is the weirdest thing. I'm fascinated by it. It's so good. Josh and I are obsessed. Our buddy Hank, who has been on some shows, he's obsessed. We have a text chain about it. Three episodes have come out so far. I've watched two of the three twice. Everything about it is compelling, from the writing to the directing to the acting, the costumes, the 70s wigs. Three episodes have come out? Yeah. I thought only two. Shit. Three. Has it been three weeks, or did they do two in one week? Three weeks. Oh, man. Time is just flying by. One of the things that works really well is that they're doing this little thing with video formats. Sometimes it's film or whatever, but there's bits where they will switch to what looks like 80s uh, home video. Oh, that's great. That's cool. I know. And and like that sounds like it could be lame, but it's really short with certain insert shots. And it really looks like video from the time. When that is done right, I find that to be a great asset in a filmmaker kind of toolbox. Like I think mixed media in video format and resolution and and aspect ratio and stuff like that Mm -hmm. can really put you in a time. It's done just right. Right. And then like there's always politics under the surface is Adam McKay we're talking about, you know. And so I think that's handled really well too. And the first episode sort of did it the most, but they they did a little bit about coded language, you know, where – they were talking about Larry Bird in one way, and they talked about Magic Johnson in another, and they were like, well, you know, Larry Bird's such a smart player with a high basketball IQ, and you just see the words white, and they go away. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Magic Johnson, he's a natural athlete, black, you know, and, you know, to understand that stuff in retrospect is to really understand yeah. what the league was like. Race is a big factor. Right, but you're, you're talking about a time where literally, you know, this is David Stern is in this, and, you know, he's the guy who sort of brought the league to the next level, but... At this point, like the league was struggling, and that was because the white guys were boring and the black guys were exciting. But the people in charge were like, "I don't know if people want to watch this many black guys." 
that's literally, you know, like it sounds awful saying it, but that's literally what was happening. So the ABA is coming in and there's a whole different style of basketball. Like, you know, this is a point where the NCAA has, has said, no, no dunking. That's too, that's too, you know, whatever the coded word for black is, but that's what they meant. And this is when that all changes. You know, this is like, which just goes with the same thing where every time we hear stories now about all of this sort of inherent racism and terrible things that are still happening, I was like, where were you people in the 80s? When like we were just we were enmeshed in black culture as part of it and like nobody learned a damn thing from it. It's so strange to me, but like this is a big part of that happening. So it really like in the same way that lots of baseball stories will dovetail, you know, with what's happening in American history. This is what happens here, you know, to it's it's a big, important story in a way, but also it's entertaining as hell. And this is an inflection point in sports and culture. You're right. I mean, you can take all that aside. It's all there. It's incredibly fun. It's a funny show. It's well written. It's smart. John C. Riley's gonna win an Emmy, or at least he's definitely gonna get nominated for one. Like characters explode off the screen. Quincy Isaiah is playing Magic Johnson. He's incredibly good. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's so many facets of history between race and culture and sex and sexual politics and, and class issues. You know, to that point too. I and think the mafia. Gabby Hoffman's character, I think, does a really good job of keeping a thumb on the gender portion of the whole. Thing. Yes. I don't know that I can think of a character like her who is very aware of what's happening, but is also playing the game to a certain extent that she has to and is talking All you could do is play the game if you wanted to survive, and that's her character. And there's a a fourth wall aspect to the show as well, which is handled pretty well. There was a bit in the third episode, though, it threw me for a loop, is that I think John C. Riley was talking to his mother, and in the middle of the scene, he turned to the camera and talked to us, and I was like, ah, that's a lot, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But there was precedent for it. You know, it's all just enough of all those things. It's very good. Like I said, there's a lot of things I watching on Sunday. It's my favorite one. I'm not going to miss that one. I do plan on watching it. It's on my list. My list is very long right now. <laughs> Hank texted us after the show on Sunday and said, I hope this show runs for 25 years. Yeah, I can't. No, I, so honestly, I can't wait to watch it. I need the Gilded Aids to finish. There are three dramas about tech that I'm, I'm one episode in on, the, on the, the dropout, the Theranos one. I'm one episode in on the Uber one. I haven't started the WeWork one on Apple TV yet. Like, there's a, Connor, like you said, it's, it, there's yeah. a lot of TV right now. Speaking of TV, I just got a push notification on my phone saying, watch the Gilded Age finale. Well, I can't oh. do it right now, HBO Max. Because of the patrons. You see, patrons, it's because of you, we are not enjoying the entertainment we like. <laughs> I give, and I give, <laughs> I give, and I give, and all I ask for is a blue spot. <laughs> Let's move on now. This show is coming out on Thursday before the Academy Awards, which are this weekend. Lots of controversy around the awards this year. We probably won't delve into that. Ron and I are big fans. Josh couldn't care less, but he's... I want to say you humor us. I'm vaguely aware. Yeah. You complain for the most part the whole time, but we're going to still going to talk about it. And we should and we should kind talk stay, stay tuned and listen cuz we're talking about how you the patrons can get involved in the fun too here. So so we'll we'll touch on that towards yep. the end. All right. So last year we did this where we took all the best pictures nominees and then we ranked them and then we talked about which one we liked the best. So this year there were 10 nominees as there almost always is. And I'll just read them out in alphabetical order. I'll not give any weight to any particular film here. It's Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Those are your Best Picture nominees. Ron, did you see them all? I did not. At the time of recording, which is in advance of the awards, so I still have time, I have seen six of them. Six of the ten, so more than half of them. Which ones are outstanding? The ones that are outstanding I still need to see are Belfast, Drive My Car, King Richard, and The Power of the Dog. Okay. By the way, I cannot think of The Power of the Dog without the Sean Connery, you're the man now dog. 
in popping in my head. Huh, I wouldn't have gone there. Yeah. Josh, which ones have you seen or have you not seen? Yeah, let's do that. I've seen, uh, I don't, I won't know not, not seen because I'm not looking at the list and I probably should be, but I've seen Belfast, Power of the Dog, Dune, Don't Look Up, and the other one. Did you see Licorice Pizza? No, that was somebody else I was talking no. about. No, no, I, a guy, friend of mine, guy I know, listener to the show, put up a list on Instagram of his favorite, like, Paul Thomas Anderson movies in a row. And I went, yeah, I only like Boogie Nights. I don't like any of these movies. I don't yeah, like that's Paul Thomas too. Anderson movies. And so yeah. I, I want to. I, I'm not like, these are terrible. Everybody like, I just don't. It doesn't work for me. So I've put it off. I've thought about it a bunch of times. but uh, no. And I saw all of them, all 10. So what we'll do is rank them from favorite to least favorite. And I, mean, I think that's going to lead into a larger discussion with the state of the year in movies. So I'm going to go first. And I... I struggled with the ranking. I knew my top two, and I knew the bottom. I changed around the middle quite a bit in the last week. I had it written on a little text file on my desktop, and I kept moving the films around as I thought about them more. So I think this is where I'm ending up. Nightmare Alley. That's the other one. <laughs> my top film of the year of these Best Picture nominees was Coda, followed by Belfast, Drive My Car, then Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, West Side Story, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, and then Power of the Dog. And why we're doing this in the first place is because that's how the films are voted on. They do ranked choice for the Best Picture nominees. So they have Academy members rank them. So which is why we're ranking them. We're not Academy members, though. But we should be. We should be. I mean, There's some, some other kind of m- members never even heard of. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. For me, the Best Picture was Coda, Belfast, Drive My Car, We're a close second, third. And then it drops off a little bit in the middle. Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, I enjoyed. West Side Story was fine. Licorice Pizza, I didn't really like at the end. Light Morality, I didn't really like. And The Power of the Dog, I hated. Fascinating. Well, so I'm limited because I haven't seen them all, right? Yeah, but you, well, you're the six you've seen. So I can do I can do the six I've seen. And it's just funny because it just shows you that, like, what brings us together as people are our differences. And I think that's exactly. the most important thing. Yeah. It's all art. Connor, you're one of my most beloved people. Josh, you too sometimes. I'm right here. One of the things I love is, is is when all three of us are all on the same page and love something, but I also love when we all disagree. And hearing your lists, I had to be like, why am I even friends with this guy? <laughs> so if I had to rank mine, I'm going to go, what, you go, you go first to last? Is that how we do it? Yeah. Well, if you want, you can do whatever you want. So I Do it from middle out. I would go, I'll do middle out. Why not? I'm, okay. So uh, definitely King Richard. No, middle, no. Out. Uh, middle out. Middle out. Middle out. God, that that first season of that show was so good. Oh, man. (laughs) Dick to dick. (laughs) All right. So um, I would probably rank mine from most enjoyed to least. Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, Coda, Dune, West Side Story, Don't Look Up. Okay. And then if I had to guess without seeing the movies that I haven't seen yet, it would then go Belfast. You can't do that. You don't know. Drive My Car. Power of the Dog, King Richard. You don't even know what half those movies are about. That's the order that I want to watch them in. So so Licorice Pizza was your favorite? Licorice Pizza was his favorite before he saw it. You were in love with the trailer and you made your mind up you'd like... I, I, I won't argue that. I mean, I don't know how that's a, ba- that's a bad thing. It, it delivered. Ah, pizza. Pizza for dinner tonight. But now you can get licorice delivered because it's a crazy new world. I will say that... Slang for a vinyl record. I will say that... And, and part of it might be because like I saw licorice pizza in the theater at Alamo. Like It was like closest to like 
the way things used to be that, you know, uh, you know, I saw the theater. Uh, this is a thing. No, I know. But at the time, you know what I mean? Like I hadn't, you know, like I, I think I'd just seen Dune in the theater and then I saw Licorice Pizza, but it just, it just felt like I like, yeah, this is a movie I would have gone to see before I was stuck at home with toddlers in a pandemic. But I got to say between Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, Coda and Dune, like the four of those, I don't want to say matter of inches, but like, tight like i love nightmare alley i love the genre play of nightmare alley sure. i loved like i loved everything about it connor we're, we're in agreement of our appreciation of coda i thought coda was yep. just a great movie and dune i thought like was one that i went in skeptical that like won me over because it was just such an experience and then west side story i'm conflicted about and then don't look up i just didn't like as much as you guys did so i'm gonna go with and i do think experience had a ton to do with it it's like whatever sure. you watch the thing at the right time and and you know the, the fact is you're right. Like I don't care about the awards really at all, but I do, I do care about movies. And I think like last year there was like none of the movies really did anything for me. But this year I'm gonna go with Don't Look Up, Nightmare Alley, Belfast, Dune, and Power of the Dog. And I really liked four of those. So it, like Ron said, sort of inches is that I could have moved that middle around a lot. But you know just basically Don't Look Up. I've been clearly listening to me. I've been in the mood for Adam McKay. I just thought we had a ton of fun watching it. I thought it was really smart. You know, that sense of humor combined with sensibility and, and social issues and an insane cast, you know, it was exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to see at that point. Not the film to watch on Christmas Eve. No. <laughs> no. Which is what I did. In terms of I did too, I dark think. humor, or Christmas Day kind of stuff, it you know kind of reminded me of 70s to a certain extent, but with a different voice. Nightmare Alley is one that I just didn't expect to care about at all. Oh, and I, so and what weird. I said was, I bet Lindsay would like this, because I don't like New York Hotel very much. I, and I thought it was a horror movie. When I was trying to talk my wife into watching it, she's yeah. like, there's not a character with an eyeball on its hand, is there? Right? <laughs> I, just, I just stopped and thought. I was like, oh, Del Toro, right? No, 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 this is okay. It's different. I wish I had seen it, I, and I still want to. I mean, this is one of the things where, Connor, I'm jealous of you in L.A. Yeah. and no children and the, and, and and the freedom. Version. Yeah, there's there's a black and white version running in select cities. that I, I So I watched Nightmare Alley on Hulu in my living room as opposed to the theater and I still loved it but I would have loved to have seen the black yeah. and white version in a theater oh man I really thought that almost every shot choice in that was beautiful yeah. there was shots where I was like oh they're doing your Citizen Kane thing here there you know all the sets everything was lavish and full I just really enjoyed that sort of attention to detail in sort of that one way and I, and I also you know in terms of actors I don't love Bradley Cooper but he sold me entirely on that and I just it was a great cast you know Belfast, you know, it was delightful, sad and delightful at the same time. Dune, I really like Dune a lot. I don't know that I could tell you what happened. It was very, very long, but I really love looking at it and I want to see more. And I do remember, we, I think we talked about this at some point, but like at a certain point, you're just like, wait a minute. We've been watching this for two and a half hours and we're not anywhere near the end of this story. And I was like, oh, there's more. It hadn't occurred to me. And then Power of the Dog, I really didn't like at all. I want my time back. <laughs> so I guess the question I have is, what was your favorite film of the year? The reason why I ask that is because A, I'm having a hard time picking because B, I, it may be a film that wasn't even nominated. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Jeez. Oof. And I ask that because I think, and then we discussed this on our patron hangout. So if you're, if you are yep. patron or, you know, thinking about it, we have a one hour hangout a month and we talked a lot of time about movies in the last one. It wasn't a great year. No. You've been on this kick of not being a good year for movies. I don't think the last two years were rough. I wouldn't have given, 
I really like the Coda Belfast Drive My Car. I wouldn't give any of them five stars out of five. Wow. Is there a movie that you would give five stars that wasn't nominated? I don't think so. Yeah. And the only film I know this I know Josh didn't like this movie, but the film I keep coming back to is possibly my film of the year was The French Dispatch, and I wouldn't even give that five stars. But it, it, you have to go back two Oscars to find a film I would give five stars to. I'm not, I'm not the end-all, be-all here. I'm just saying, for me personally, it's been a rough... And the pandemic's been happening. All kinds of things have happened. But I think I it's mean, just you're been not going to give them any Saints of Newark five stars? <laughs> Connor, can you, can you give us five all... Five stars conversation. Can you give us right now as many movies off the top of your head that you would give five stars? Go. Oh, Star Wars. Okay. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Unstoppable. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, you're talking about a <laughs> missile the size of the Chrysler building. It's headed right at us. <laughs> Not doing it for you, Josh. Not doing it for doing you. It for you. <laughs> Glory. You want to keep going? Yeah, Star no, Trek keep Four. Going. Star Trek. Oh, the whales. <laughs> uh, uh, Rain of Fire. Citizen Kane. Casablanca. <laughs> Wait, is Rain of Fire a five star movie? Yes. For what it wow. is. Yes. For its yes. for its intention, it's five stars. Yeah. Nineteen seventeen. Nineteen seventeen, wow. Yeah. Dunkirk. I mean look, there's a lot of five you, star you movies. You just give out five star movies left and right. I'm shocked you don't I have love the movies. No, no, I love the movies. I love the movies. I love, I love the I lo- you're a regular you're a regular Turner Classic movies over here. <laughs> I, I'm a member of Turner Classic Movies, so I got the t shirt. <laughs> I bet that Connor would give out less five stars than I would. Yeah. I'm serious. I think I would give out more five stars, but I think that we would have completely different criteria. And the list wouldn't be anything. Well, there would be some. I would love to do your guys' list of as many five-star movies as you can. Like, it's kind of like write down the states for out of memory. Like, write me a list of all your five of all time. It would be fairly easy for me because I would go and like stand in front of my DVD shelf and go, okay, well, these are all the ones. No, no, you can't look. You You can't look. It's got to be off the top of your head. Yeah. I would think about it. Anyway, I just think it's been, you know, there was a movie this year that blew my socks off. Where I was like, I'll tell you my God, favorite movie of the year that came out. I think it would have came out in, in last year, but I think if I had to pick a number one most fun movie watching experience I had this year, it was the Sparks Brothers. Oh, that warms my heart. It was such a good movie. Yeah, no, you were. I was totally just thinking right about that. it today. In the, it, today, I was thinking about that movie again. That was the one that, again, no idea what it was, no expectations. And as it kept going, it just kept getting better. And it kept getting just more impressive. And I was like, I don't know why this is so long and I'm okay with it. Yep. It's centered around two people who were just fucking delightful to look at and looking at them through the ages. And at the same time, you know, everything that Edgar Wright does right in a narrative film, he did you know it was like it was like watching spaced but as a documentary to a certain extent and it was so many clever things that weren't showing off it was just like the way i think you know like it was really you know like like the references in my head were, were all happening sort of at the same time and then at the same time you know i've worked on documentary i've worked in archive like the amount of work that would have gone into building a, a movie like that from just a, a footage standpoint i was impressed by Ron, what would you say your favorite film of the year was? Oh, it's tough. Licorice Pizza? I mean, it might still be Licorice Pizza. I mean, you know, yeah. It might be. Do you think you'll watch that movie again? Yeah. Like, you might watch it one more time, but do you think that it'll be a thing you go back to? Because you don't go back to movies that much. Not as much as I used to, but Mm. I might. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if that's an indicator for me, just because my time watching is so limited these days, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, but there's certain things like, I mean, Connor always says, like, if such and such a movie is on, he'll watch it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I have a handful of movies that I keep going back to. I keep watching The Social Network. Yeah. I keep watching Interstellar. I keep watching, you know, I watch Gangs of New York. Uh, yeah. Like, there's a there's probably a couple dozen movies that, you know, I, I won't stop watching ever because yeah. I always see something new in them. I would possibly throw Liquor's Pizza in the mix of, like, a Gangs of New York kind of like in a – because it, it's, it's a similar – theme in that it's a long movie <laughs> where the the story of the movie is placed within the location and the era as much as any character or any you know what i mean like it's it, it's mm-hmm. it's of that time and uh, yeah Boogie Nights is a movie I go back to lots of times. It's almost like yeah. a thing where, like, if there's a movie that, like, you always are, things that are happening around you always make you think of things from that movie. They're like your touch points for things, you know. I will say I will go back and watch Alfred Molina and Boogie Nights as much as I can. <laughs> I love Alfred Molina, by the way. I love him. Don oh. Cheadle in Boogie Nights is one of my favorite performances in the history of film. Yeah. Just sad buck. <laughs> it's very Just good. trying to make the best of it. Yeah. Alfred Molina is just great. Oh God, they're so good. I don't know. I thought it was a weird year. Last year was a weird year. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. There's a couple of other movies too that I aren't in the list that I liked a lot. I loved Stillwater. I always go for Tom McCarthy movies. I really liked The Green Knight. I'm not gonna say it was good, but I went and I saw it in the theater by myself. That's on my There's list. Nobody there. And, yeah. Uh, you know what? I don't know that I would recommend watching in any other instance than being in a theater where you can't leave because it's. It's a weird fucking movie, but I really, I did enjoy it. You know, like if it hadn't all been right there, I don't know. Like if I had tried to watch it at home, it might've been really difficult. Not No Time to Die, Josh? Oh yeah. Yeah. I really did like that. I kind of forgot about it, but Bond movies tend to be somewhat forgettable and I kind of mix them all up in my head after a certain point. I think what's happening is we're starting to finally see sort of the end game of studios only caring about four quadrant tentpole films. And I mean, we like those movies obviously, but it's harder and harder to make other movies that we also like, you know. Yeah. Drive My Car, one reason I really like it is because it's just a human drama. Like, Belfast is also a human drama. And Coda well, Coda, yeah. Drama. I mean, that's a, I, said, you know, I said when we were talking at the Patron Hangout, I was like, Coda feels like a movie they don't really make anymore, really. Right, yeah. It worked on that aspect. Like, Connor, I was thinking after that conversation we had, I was thinking, like, where are the, where are the movies like someone like you? Right. Right? You know, like, and admittedly, it came out. Like, it, there was a, there was a uh, rom-com the Jennifer Lopez Owen Wilson oh, yeah, we, rom-com. I, just I saying, watched it. Me and Gordon the intern and the ladies watched it. Was it any good, or...? It was terrible, but we had a great time watching it because yeah. it's it's exactly what you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's harder and harder to find these kind of films that we really enjoy as much as we enjoy Spider-Man or we enjoy Batman. There's another thing that's happening is that there is a generational shift. Like, we're getting to be old. Yeah. and Getting to be. You know what I mean? But people aren't going to make things. So the people who are, like, in charge of making decisions are different than mm. – I mean, they're of a different generation. They ain't normal. There's slightly different sensibilities that go along with that. Yeah. And, you know, I think – think like people used to hang on to the reins longer where like stuff would be for people in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and i i think they don't make those movies anymore this is what connor was talking about your tentpole yeah. stuff like you know and and there's a different sensibility a different politics to a certain extent you know millennials and, and gen z and and all that stuff it's just it's a different outlook and i think that there's a lot of things that you know they're not for me you know, I'm like, oh, these are like children's movies, but they're nah. not. Those people are in their mid thirties. Um, you know, I think that's happening though, and I think we're feeling it, and it's weird. Yep. How come I don't like any of these movies? <laughs> How come nobody likes the movies I like? Ron and I are excited to watch the Oscars this coming weekend. And Ron, do you want to tell the people listening 
Yeah, so uh, we want you to, we want all the well, at least all the iFanboy patrons to get in on the game every year. Connor and I, one of our favorite things is the Oscar pool, yep. where we do amongst our our friends and family, where we do our Oscar picks and see who picks the most the most ones right. A couple of years ago, we extended that to the iFanboy patrons. So if you're an iFanboy patron, go to Patreon.com/iFanboy. There'll be a post there for patrons only with a link to the official ballot. You need to enter it by 7 p.m. Eastern time on March 27th in order to uh, be considered in the competition and the person who picks the most Oscar winners correctly gets to uh, brag about it to your friends. <laughs> yeah, there's no prize. There's no <laughs> prize. The prize is the warmth in your heart that you feel for winning. Yeah. So, yeah. It's occurring to me and it's only occurred to me relatively recently that the reason that I get blown out every year is that I have no idea what people would choose. I'm like, I, and that's the problem. That's, I what don't know the game. that's what frustrates you is that there are two approaches to Oscar balloting. One is... I'm going to vote for who I liked, right? Which, unfortunately, is not the way to win the game. No, no. for me, please. The game is figuring out who's going to win based off of the other award ceremonies, the tone of the press, the way the wind, winds are blowing and stuff like that. And so part of it is is that like you might have loved West Side Story, but it's not going to win for these reasons, and Coda's going to win for other reasons, and you got to be able to read those tea leaves. But every now and then, you get, you know, you know and Connor, I feel like we've been doing it for years, we're pretty good yep. at it. But every now and then you, you get a parasite that comes out and we're like, what the hell? How did that happen? You know, and like that sort of thing. I know how it works. I just have no idea how to do Like Connor follows that. knows the tra- I have no idea what any of those things are. Should yes, but it's getting to harder do to do because the changing nature of the Academy itself. Yeah. Yep. It used to be very homogeneous and you could easily you could predictable. Guess the, yeah. Guess their tastes. But now they've really, in the last couple of years, really opened it up. It's very international. It's a lot younger. So that's why you end up with a parasite winning Best Picture last year because there's a lot there's a lot of voters now who weren't allowed to vote five ten years ago. So it's it's there's some categories you know going in these four or five they're locks because they've won every award on the circuit. But every year I think Best Picture is still and again because of ranked choice voting it's often a total surprise. So I'm actually very excited this year to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, as we close out this show, I actually thought we'd have more time for emails. So I'm going to give you guys a choice. About topic. I got three emails here. Topics. Topic. One email is about movies, which maybe we want to stay on that track. One email is about music. And one email is silly. Which one do you want to answer? What's the first one? Movies. Movies, music, or silly? Silly. Silly. You want to do silly instead of movies? I'm, I'm good with silly. Yeah, no one wants to listen to me and Ron talk about music. All right. Well, Steve from Maryland writes and says, Who would win in a team fight? Team two Jamokes, Josh Flanagan and Connor Kilpatrick. Team Respect for Women, Tom Cavanaugh and Michael Ian Black. And Team Solo, now available on Blu-ray and digital, Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer. That's a Star Wars Minute listener, I can tell you yeah. that much. Ron, you're the judge here since you're not involved in the battle. Because Ron would find a way to get out of the fight. Right, yeah. I, I mean, I would probably give it to you guys because I feel like at the end of the day, Pete and Alex would fold pretty quickly and Mike and Tom are celebrities, and the last thing they want to do is get into. But an Tom is ripped, though. Yeah, Tom is ripped. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But they're old. But he did. He did have that well, hockey injury, thing. Connor, and this now might be the time. <laughs> yeah, and Alex recently had neck surgery. Yeah, so, like, so now you guys just might be healthier. Would, this would be a bunch of guys in their forties and fifties. Yep. <laughs> in the middle of a gladiatorial ring, and it would last two seconds. I got to tell you though, Mike and Tommy Snacks has been on fire of late. Do you think? I mean, does the fight have to be like a physical combat thing? Like, can it be a, a battle of wits? Well, like I mean, a battle of wits suit. 
than uh, Tom Cavanaugh. I mean, yeah, it's it's okay. If it's Trivial Pursuit, who wins? Uh, that's tough. I don't know. You got six very smart people. That's yeah, that's what say. I'm saying. Like, well, you Alex got knows five, a and a half, five and a half, Connor, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what the, the categories uh, that come up. I, mean, I think that's a toss-up. I know a shit ton of stuff, and I can't remember any of it. Yep. That's where I would fall apart. <laughs> I would give it to Alex and Pete. Between the two of those, history and, and pop culture, and also Pete's got sports. Yeah, Pete does have sports, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Good question. I, you know, and I can't, I can't speak to... Mike and Tom on those subjects, hmm. but I feel like they know they either know more or less than you would think. The question is, how many questions are about Canada? Yeah, <laughs> Canadian history and whatnot. All right, Connor, quick, do the movie question. We got time. All right, Ken Jay from the Great White North, Canada. You may regret this. What is the better movie, Goodfellas, The Godfather, or Jaws? Oh well, that's. I mean, oh wait, though, no. Go ahead, Ron. What were you going to say? I'm mean, well, going to say that's very difficult. I was going to say that's all. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to be like, no, it's all. They, they all do different things. Exactly. That's, yeah. yeah. We all have stories. <laughs> I mean, okay, it, though, okay. So, okay. So go gut, though. Like, what's your first instinct? My first instinct has changed six times, so I don't remember what it is. I mean, if I had to, if I had to rank them right now, like, what, watch them in order. It's Goodfellas, Jaws, Godfather. And that doesn't take away from The Godfather. I'm not saying Jaws is a better film or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, all, all of these films are great films. Yeah, so, yeah. The, you know, these are clearly five-star films. Yes. See, because I'm going Godfather, Jaws, Goodfellas. Wow. And that's my ranking as well. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. Because The Godfather, you're talking about a, a... So, I'm sorry, wait, I'm sorry to interrupt, Josh, but Connor, based on Academy voting, Jaws gets the best picture. Yes, it does. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's why it's so exciting. <laughs> I got to go see The Godfather in the theater on my birthday. That's great. Wait, did you see the new print? Yeah. Uh-huh. Was it good? Oh, my God. It was amazing. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be and amazing. And it was just like, usually we will go to a movie on my birthday, which is at the end of February, which for those of you who know anything about movie releases would know that yeah, there's rough. never any fucking good movies on my birthdays. It's awful rough. Last year, we rented a theater and we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. And that was, you know, very good. Five stars. And this year, we were looking at all the available movies and, and, and Lindsay goes, look at The Godfather's playing. And she kind of brushed over it. I was like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> and, like, and, and What's one the thing, problem? Like, the, the theater was surprisingly full and i don't say that as a complaint i was actually like all right because i've been to other revivals you know like i went to see a new print of goodfellas a few years ago pre-pandemic and there was nobody there and i was like oh my god you people you know but you know however however long that movie is you don't feel it and it it just that's one of the ones that i've been back you know when you know like individual beats all the way through a movie i mean we could say that about jaws goodfellas and godfather so it's hard to do it but that to me is one of the first ones that you know, was a success on every possible level and continues to be. You know, without Godfather, there is no Goodfellas. Yeah. Really. I don't disagree. It also launches several careers. Yeah. Several all-time yes. careers. Yes. Yes. You know, Jaws almost feels like a different category, so you can't rank them that way. But if I had... what's okay, The funny thing right now is if you ask me, Josh, what's your favorite movie? I would say Jaws. But I was just about to say, if I had to get rid of one of the movies, I would keep the Godfather. You know, so I don't know what I'm talking about. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. That's a good question. Yeah, great question. I'm glad we did it. There you go. He hit us where we live. Honor. Wait, what's your? your, Oh, you said the same as me. Same ranking. My Godfather. I mean, I love all three films. Yeah. Yeah. They're all films like you guys said earlier. If they're on TV and I come across them, I'm stopping. Yep. Mm -hmm. I've seen them all dozens of times. I used to watch The Godfather weekly in my early 20s. 
You know, um, I studied two of them in college, and we did a whole show about one of them. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, is that like I'm not I'm not disagreeing, and I you know Godfather is a is a you know I cannot wait. By the way, talk about the Deluge of TV. The offer on Paramount Plus is going to be fantastic, <laughs> or Trainwreck, but either way, it's going to be great. I think Trainwreck. I don't. But the thing about it, what always got me is that is is that you know, and also being you know growing up in New York, growing up Italian, like all that sort of stuff, and like you know, the Godfather is fictional account that captures the spirit of the early age of organized crime in New York where a romantic version. Yeah, exactly. Whereas good feather, good, good feathers, good fellas, you know, (laughs) really resonated to me because it was, you know, in a time period that I romanticize as well as like based on reality and like those places are real. And like, like there's something about that, that visceralness of it that always connected with me for it. But I will say that my son recently has been going through a big superhero phase and he's being Captain America and he's saying America, America. And so I'm trying to get him to say, I believe in America. So, (laughs) (laughs) and he looks at me like I'm a weirdo and then runs away. So, I mean, (laughs) so there you go. Thanks for writing in Ken and Steve. The email address is contract.fanboy.com. That's how you can get your email in on the show. Make sure you put media explode in the title or the subject of the email. So we know that it's for this show. Thanks to all who write in. So that's it. That's it for this month's show. Thanks again to the patrons at patreon.com slash fanboy. Look for that email or that post about the Oscar pool. If you want to join the more, the merrier we'd like as many people as possible. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's, and, you know, there's no stakes. It's fun. Josh is going to do it. He's going to lose, but he's going to have fun doing it. Yeah. Wait, I, thought, I was told there would be steaks. <laughs> yeah, there's, there are no steaks. Delicious, delicious grilled steak. You're right, because the price of beef is insane. So there you go. We'll be back next month. You can always, always listen to our weekly Pick of the Week show, which Josh and I talk about the week's comics. You can listen to our monthly shows that were also knocked by the patrons, the Talksplode and Booksplode shows that alternate every month. The Booksplode show is a review of a collected edition comic book. The Talksplode show is Josh's interview show. You can listen to Ron and All About Android talking about phones every week. Every week. Every week. Every week? <laughs> I like our running bit was where we don't know or care about his show. <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, so that's how you can find us. You can find us online at uh, fmo.com. I don't know that it's a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I've done over 500 of those shows, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's like if you listen to the Always Sunny podcast, is that neither Rob nor Charlie have watched Glenn Howerton's NBC show, AP Bio. <laughs> nice. They don't even acknowledge it. It's an NBC show, and they're just like, oh, no, I mean, it does it. Oh, yeah, Good for you. you. Yeah. Literally at one point, one of them goes, you still do that? <laughs> like, and they were serious. And hopefully we'll be back next month. It's all, all to you patrons, whether or not we're here back next month. Hopefully we are. Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Ron. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. Nothing on TV. Too good to own. But she's the one for me.